Okay, we've so, started. This is my, uh, it's in my top three favorite Donald Trump tweets. My favorite one of all time is you never see a skinny person drinking a Diet Coke. That's so shitty, but it's, that's a ruthless tweet. But this one, <laughs> this one is special. Uh, it's in regards to the mayor of New York City, Andrew Cuomo, uh, when he was wearing that polo shirt and they were doing like some sort of COVID relief. And you could see, like, very clearly that he had his nipples pierced. Donald Trump, the President of the United States, tweeted this. <laughs> Andrew Cuomo looked disgusting. Nipple piercings protruding in his polo shirt. <laughs> very, very <laughs> disrespectful. That's so re- disrespectful <laughs> to have metal in your God-given uh, mammary glands. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah that, that was... That was good. So we were just talking about how... So we miss not that Donald Trump's gone or necessarily that his Twitter is gone, but we miss... If you separate all the implications that his Twitter has and the fact that he can like mind control thousands of people with it and get them to storm the Capitol, if you separate that stuff and compartmentalize it and just look at it from like a point of view of hilarity... Like it was, or even absurdity. Of, yeah, like, like one of the funniest, goddamn, <laughs> oh, oh, weirdest. His comedic timing is ridiculous. Yeah. and so the thing for me with Donald Trump in particular, uh, especially now, is uh, as soon as he got banned from Twitter, I was like, "This is a powder keg," because right. you know, it's like it's like the, the Footloose kids. You know what I mean? All yeah. they wanted to do was dance. And the parents said no dancing. And so what did they do? They danced their hearts out, you know? Yeah. And that's like the idea of the show, right? And it's kind of a crude comparison. But but when you deplatform Donald, that doesn't make Donald go away. That just no. puts him in the sewers. And so now, like, I, I, like today, I went on a couple of those apps that are trying to, like, gain some traction to see if there's some way that Donald's like relaying out media. Right. Bleeding through the channels and, that he's able to get through. And I'm not seeing it. And it's like that. So it's going to create like this, like media dark web. I do agree. Um, I do think it's funny though, that, you know, they're like, Oh, freedom of speech, all that. Uh, that's, you know, a violation of, and then, they get their own argument thrown back into them that like, Oh, well remember the gay wedding cake in yeah. Oregon. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, well, w- where does your logic start and end here? Like yeah. they're technically a private company. I personally think they might should be at the level of like a public utility I at this agree. point. That's such um, a, I mean, that starts with <clears throat> the public commodification of the internet, right? Which like the internet should have never been privatized. That in right. and of itself is, is criminal. Yes, that is criminal. Um, and and in my opinion, at least. But the other thing too is like, I I think with Twitter, Facebook, things like this, I can't help but wonder if they're going to turn it into like you have some sort of like IP address that's tethered to like your person, and then you have to use that to like prove your provide your authenticity of who you are. Yeah. On the social, I I've thought this for well, a while. I mean, that's already sort of happening. Um. Because I work in IT, when you have like a Google account or if you have a Facebook account, you have essentially like an ad ID 
where like you're essentially tracked every time you use google.com or you use Facebook and you use it in conjunction with other websites um, through cookies they can uh, sort of track like your purchasing habits and uh, stuff like that um, that's where the surveillance capitalism uh, is coming into play. Well, and like, I think that there's I, one of the things we're going to look back on, uh, societally and we're going to be like, well, this was really bad. You know, like our generation's cigarettes are going to be our ad consumption oh, over, yeah. over media. 100%. We're going to look back. Well, and, and I would just say social media and, in general and, and, uh, emotional manipulation. Yeah. Media's it, yes. media's not benign in that. Well, and, Facebook's admitted to conducting experiments on users where they've directed more negative content towards some users than others and see if they could manipulate their mood or anything. And obviously they're going to be able to. Um, yeah. And I've wondered if my own personal Facebook has been the target of that because I've gotten for years nothing but like bullshit and like barely any like actual content from like real people and it's driven me mostly off Facebook like I probably should have gotten off anyway well, Facebook is but... like the uh, like you remember before social media but internet like your parents had an email address yeah and they would constantly get like forward emails yeah that's, like that's basically what Facebook is yeah. now for old people or people who want to catalog like their family's experiences or people that want to like I don't mean this disrespectfully, but this is, and I haven't been on Facebook in years now. Yeah, I have, I that's have, a good move. I've been considering it. I literally got off of it because of how seriously it made me tried to make me take myself. Yeah. I just woke up one day and I was like, Oh, I like, I'm playing a game in this where I literally think that Facebook is real life. Yeah. I would like, it was during the Bernie Sanders era of 2016 mm -hmm. and I was like, Bernie has to win. And I was like clutching my <laughs> pearls and, and I was like, no, but like socialism, you know, like with people that didn't care instead of like, and, and I've learned now, especially that I don't, I don't approach conversation like that at all. Like yeah. I literally had a guy that I was hanging out with the other night who like we were getting into the car and I don't even remember how it got brought up. It always does somehow, but I told him my pronouns and he was like, yeah, I, I don't do that. And I was like, you know, that's remarkably crude, but you're also driving us. So thank you for that. Like, and it was like yeah. a weird, and I'm not advocating that anyone else needs to do that, you know? And I'm also not saying that that is like inherently and exclusively healthy way to deal with that. The point I'm trying to make is like, uh, there's a state of compromise where I realized the utility of having that person in that moment, especially. Um, yeah. Anyway, I digress. The, the The point that I'm trying to make, uh, just coming back to the idea with like social media and Donald is, uh, I don't know where he's gone, but it's it's an infection, and yeah. we've put a bandaid over it. Yeah. And so it's it, like it's gonna get worse. Where in in the body is it gonna like manifest next? Well, and uh, you know. There's and a, it, it gives fuel to like those uh, conspiracy theorists. Well, okay, real bad. so they literally think that they are being censored right now. Like, yeah. okay, so like when those conservative people are going, it's literally 1984 right now. They think that. Yeah. And this That's is reality. This is like the thing for me right now with like modern politics is like since Joe Biden became the president of the United States, it's been what three days now. Yeah. 
something's in the water. Something feel, and I'm not saying this in a conspiratorial way. I'm saying this in like my own personal like feelings about the like collective unconscious. I'm talking yeah. about all of us combined. Um, I think that there is a delusion between two factions of those. So right now you have two sets of people in this country who live in two different realities. Yes. And it's causing a split. Uh-huh. And I don't think it's coming back. I felt this starting in like 2006, 2007 when I was like yeah. being taught politics. I was like, man, this, well, how do we compromise? I started feeling it once Obama started gaining popularity. Oh yeah. He was the catalyst. They were just trying to paint him. The, well, and I was like they, in on that. Um, oh, sure. I had, I had like when I was much younger, like a really cringy, like libertarian conservative sort of phase. Um, Cause I mean, that was the culture that I was raised in. I did it too. I voted, um, I caucused for Ron Paul in 2012. Oh, I caucused Ron Paul. I voted Obama. Right. Yeah. And, and it, what's funny to me is I caucused Ron Paul because his whole thing was a love revolution. Okay, mm. and now I now I think that Ron Paul is like one of those snake oil scientists or uh, doctors who yeah. went and got their MD, but then they put it in front of like their uh, like Christianity, and then mm. they like it, it, just the behavior in that. Not to like get too in the weeds, I just like he's really into holistic medicine as the end all be all. And I didn't I, know that about yeah, Ron Paul. and the absolutes therein are like I I think he's anti-vax. I really shouldn't be saying that without knowing, right? But there's something to the tune of that, like right. that, and that's yeah, the vibe. We, we that can't I verify get. it now. Yeah, and the other thing, I mean, to to get off of the Ron Paul topic, but uh, the point that I'm making is, yeah, the split starts with Obama for me, like that out in the open split, right? And so what I saw from there was what they call like the Overton window. Mm -hmm. And that's like you have to the right of you potential reality and to the left you have like um, hyper unrealistic reality. And in the center of those two is what's actually happening. Mm. And basically you have things occurring in your experience that shift that window to the left and the right. And right now you've got it's like being torn apart. It's like, like, yeah, people. Yes. That's actually a real, I hadn't even thought about that. I think that that's where we are. I think it is too. Cause, uh, I think people are, I, I, I hate using the phrase. Like I think people are waking up, man. But like what I mean by that is, uh, we're redefining our own persons. Like, yeah. And we're going, we're heading obviously into some new era and yes. we don't really know what it's going to be. And I think a lot of this craziness that we're seeing is that energy is trying to stay relevant, trying to stay alive when it's dying. Yes. Um, but I've also thought of it in the, in the context of history, this is not that weird and it's not even that extreme. Dude, it's literally repeated itself. Do you realize we just went through the eighties? Yeah. We just went through the eighties again. Like, like Donald Trump and all of these things that have happened, like all these social behaviors. I grew up in a rural community. I've lived in a rural community recently. They literally think they were back in the Reagan era. That's mm-hmm. what Donald Trump did to the heartland. He made them think that they were back in like 84. Yeah. And then now we're going through another era of the 90s. Yeah. We're about to do it again. Which we're I'm ba- fine with that because I liked a big portion of the 90s. Yeah. I mean, but- uh, <laughs> the, the thing that makes me wonder is, you know, like what to expect with reality as far as like 
as far as American politics goes, I try to not put too much stock into it anymore at this point because I, again, it comes back to like taking yourself seriously. Like I, uh, and I know I'm like a professional fence sitter. I genuinely don't care, <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm more of a rational skeptic than I am uh, uh, a sides person. Oh, same. At all. Like you're not going to catch me supporting Joe Biden, and no. I and I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm saying me personally. Like good luck to him. I I genuinely hope that he comes around and does some good stuff. Keep me the fuck out of it though. Like I don't want anything to do with well, that. Well, if anything, it's he. I don't think he's gonna fix anything. At most, he might like stop the bleeding, but like we're still left wrecked. Well, like, and, but like, <laughs> but he already like his. He's already appointed two people. One of them was from Raytheon, and oh, and they're already talking about re-entering the. Uh, so like, there was an American embassy was attacked in Iraq the other day. I actually had a really interesting conversation with my mom about this and it kind of like really painted the neoliberal picture to me because uh, the American embassy was attacked in Baghdad and so then the Biden administration made the suggestion that they're going to introduce more troops into Iraq and that should make you sick to your stomach. Yeah. That should make you sick yep. to your stomach. And anyway, so like the the neoliberal response to that though is I, the Iraqis shouldn't be attacking our embassy. My response to that is we shouldn't have an embassy there no like leave them yeah. alone if they don't want us where they, we and are. they most definitely don't like the biggest threat yeah. to iraq is the united states yeah it's not al-qaeda it's not isis it's not the taliban no it's america and i'm and like and so this comes back to this thing like if that was donald the news would be having kittens yeah. They would be like, dude, like, I'm going to paint you a picture. Okay, Donald Trump is president again, right? He just won re-election. Baghdad embassy is bombed. Donald is still on Twitter. He goes, those those cronies in Baghdad don't understand the fire and fury whereby upon. And so he says all this fluff, and what it means is we're going to put more troops in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Everybody goes, see, this is the end of the world. This is how this happens. This is the nuclear winter that we've been waiting for. This initiates the Pakistan-India conflict. Okay. And 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 then the collective unconscious, everybody goes, Oh, maybe, you know, and then so then everybody's like <laughs> jittery antsy. But then but but then the Biden administration does this and it's like, yeah, but but they have rainbow flags on their and cars no and they say I. Black Lives Matter. Uh, and so it's okay. And it's like, what is going well, on? Like and bad things it, are inherently bad when they're bad. It they, could be strategic in the form of like maybe like i think a, a bulk of the company or of the of the country is taking like a collective sigh like <gasps> and right in that sigh they're like all right let's end troops let's do this let's well that's where because you know, everyone's kind of relaxing pulling their eyes off of it a little bit um i don't know how we I, i'm very curious to see how we get off of this ride that is the coronavirus pandemic <laughs> and I think that's a, that's another part of this too is like so like how okay and so uh, you know not to throw the baby out with the bathwater what's something good that Joe Biden's done that I've seen so far his whole 100 million Americans vaccinated in 100 days thing yes yes like anybody who doesn't like see the good yeah. in that is nuttier than a shithouse mouse mm-hmm. like but the and e- even if you think the virus is fake just doing that will give people a reason to relax. It will give them a software update so that and they can be a part of the matrix more. <laughs> that's what, that's why I refuse vaccines. I just, we, the sheeple, no, no thanks. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I, you're good. It's, it's funny even. Cause like, dude, here's the thing is like, I mean, and this comes back to this like idea with like what we're talking about. Like, um, 
do I think that everyone should get the vaccine? Like everyone, like that's up to you. I'm not making that decision for you. I'm not bullying you one way or the other. I'm not going to share any information with you. Like quite frankly, I don't care uh, for your sake. That's your decision. Um, I would get, I will be getting it myself. It does make me nervous. Well, I have seen something. Okay. So like when you're looking at these COVID fatalities that have happened up to this point, it's a tragedy. It's sad to see how it's happened. Oh, for sure. Okay. I, in my personal circle have lost close people. Okay. To COVID. Um, I've also known a lot of people that had it and recovered. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm one of them. And that's not, yeah. And that's not weighing it one way or the other. Right. Um, we're still in a state of mass hysteria about coronavirus deaths. Okay. And I understand I'm not like, but, but when, so then, but then when it comes to vaccines, if there's any implications that something could be bad with it, we don't observe that because it's not like socially. Yeah. Like you you have to, it's anti-science. It's it's against the science religion. Cause like, okay, I don't think I believe that vaccines cause autism, but yeah, I was born with this baby. Yeah, <laughs> me too. But um, the it does have heavy metals in it, and that's just and heavy metals are toxic to the brain. That doesn't mean it causes autism, but right, maybe you do need like to detox after getting the vaccine. Yeah, I, I genuinely like just on a regular pragmatic level. This is literally me like um, spitballing in the wind, but like I don't, I don't. I, that's not the figure of speech. The figure of speech <laughs> is spitballing or pissing into the wind. I'm gonna pick pissing into the wind. Mm. Um, I I don't know the science behind that. Yeah, so I mean, this is like, I've not. This is yeah, all don't, emotion. Driven. Don't take anything I say or probably Matt says about a vaccine very to heart because no. I really don't understand the science behind it. And so more importantly, I, I would like, it could be total bullshit what I'm talking about. So I would like to make the declaration that <laughs> I, I, I would like to say that I am wrong and be proven right. than say that I'm right and be proven wrong. Yeah, this could, this is, so let's just right. all assume this is horseshit, but this is just my thoughts. Now you said something interesting there when you said the religion is science. Cause this is, this has been my biggest takeaway from the, the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, you know, uh, raised in the Catholic house, you know, you didn't really ask questions about well, wh- why you did things in the Catholic church. You mm. just did. And when things didn't make sense, Same with Mormonism. yes. And when things didn't make sense, it, you always got a well, because, or it's because of dot, dot, dot. There was always an answer, even if it was total horseshit. Okay. Yeah. What makes me nervous about this science driven community that we exist in now, uh, is that it does the same thing. Well, yeah. Cause so if there's you no... question something, if you go like, well, okay, but wait a second. It, they go, they being like the socially acceptable concept of questioning this goes, well, that's because. So it's like when people say like, trust the science, I'm like, no, scrutinize the science. If yeah. it's true, it doesn't need to be proven. Like it's just inherently true. Yeah. But it should be scrutinized. And then, and then that's like a, one of these like phrases that got used. It was like a lot by like, and rest in peace. I, I do like Carl Sagan a lot, but he was notorious for like, uh, starting this bandwagon, Neil deGrasse Tyson is also equally. Mm-hmm. I think he Bill is. Nye. Yes, they are all horrible it's, about this. It's the science persona. Yes, like and the, and they literally do the it for face. clout. They do it like as a They're personality. Like the pope, yeah, the popes of science. Yes, and yeah. well, like do that or that, the cardinals or whatever that show that Neil deGrasse Tyson did. And he goes like, he's talking about space and he's like talking about the majesty and he's like talking about the love that he feels when he sees it. Yeah, and then he goes, ah, science. Yeah, and it's like, oh. Your belief system. Yeah. 
And it's, it's like, like I've it, had those experiences it, in a Mormon temple. Yeah. Um, it, 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 that's the exact same thing I'm, I'm getting <laughs> at is like, and, and look like, I, and we've like talked a lot about this off the air. Like, I think the scientific method is one of the most sacred things that human beings have ever discovered. Oh yeah. It, oh, if, yeah. if not the most sacred thing, because it mm-hmm. really gives rationality to truth. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it, it repeats itself in a cyclical nature. And if there's mm-hmm. changes, they could be cataloged. Yeah. That's what I like about the scientific method the, is yeah, it, it, it is an evolving, and, it is an evolving state of questioning reality. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, the scientific method actually evolved out of both the hermetic and the alchemy traditions, you know, through ancient Greece, Egypt, up through Europe in the Middle Ages. It came out of magicians. They recorded their own rituals and then the effects of the rituals. That's what a grimoire is at its root was someone else's experiments and you can repeat them and make changes to make them more effective. So it's funny Um, that you say that. I just want to add onto that. Um, The first time I did the middle pillar ritual, uh, I looked up like three different ways to do it. There's so much language in it. So I was like trying to memorize all of my language mm. before I even started it, which I recommend. I recommend memorizing all your language because you lose your potency without it. Um, and there's a bunch of different ways to pronounce things. I think I think it's really a trial and error, you know. But the the point that I want to make when you said the grimoire is, uh, I was listening to Damien Knuckles' High Magic, the uh, audiobook, and I was having to jot everything down that he was saying about the middle pillar and just writing it down. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like changed the way that I perceived it. And then when you're talking about the scientific <clears throat> method, and I know that we're really crossing streams here into a place of like, honestly. The way that this is, so I'm thinking about it from the perspective of somebody who would, li- would listen to this show as some as a curious listener that thinks that this is all bullshit, which mm-hmm. it totally is. Yeah. Okay. That's like, that's the premise, right? Is that this yeah. is bullshit. Fake magic. Okay. But they, okay. <laughs> so it's essentially using the scientific method to question whether or not you perceiving reality and manipulating it and, ca- and like making a catalog of your thoughts and organizing them and utilizing them is working. Yep. And it's a way to prove to yourself the efficacy of the methods. Yeah. Uh, prescribed. And so it's like, once things actually work, uh, you, uh, like I've said, it's before, sort of a way of convincing yourself too. Oh yeah. Cause like, there's times where like, I think that this is bull bull bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I go, well, I suppose I'm going to go back to my, uh, I, I don't even hedonistic tendencies, you know, like just, yeah. yeah, I eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow. We die, you know, which I mean, I kind of still live in that state of consciousness, but I think I do a little bit more lightly, you mm-hmm. know, um, more discretion. It, yeah. Yeah. More appreciation for like right here. Mm-hmm. Um, we said we were going to start with uh, talking about managing symbols, <laughs> but I think it's going to like, I think that they like blend together in a really good way um we've both been reading this book uh i would make the case that it is one of the most important books i've ever read Uh, i'd put it up there with the bible for myself um just in personal power of uh belief because basically it's so Jung wrote it like Carl Jung, the uh, f- he's a very famous psychoanalyst if you've ever done one of those personality tests like swedish what did i say Oh, no, I was just oh, saying gotcha. he's from Sweden. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Um, 
what was it? He, oh, yeah. If you ever done that Myers Briggs personality type test, that's based off of Union Psychoanalytics. Like if oh, I I'm, didn't know I'm that. an ENFP, I'm an mm-hmm. INFJ. Yeah, that's that's Union Psychoanalytics. Um, so the book he wrote this book like I want to say like a year or two before he died, and he did it with four other Union psychologists that were his uh, um, colleagues, former students even, uh, and he had been asked to write this book multiple times and he said, no, no, I'm not going to write this book. I'm not going to write this book. Like I don't, I don't need to write the book. Like it's not necessary. You finally got talked into it right before you died. It's called man and his symbols. He had a dream. Oh, right. That was significant to him. And he decided, and he, which I personally think it was probably like divine intervention. Totally. Or, Um, okay. So that's the paradox of the book (laughs) is like, it was it divine intervention. Yes. And no, yeah. because the divine intervention was he himself actualizing himself. Yeah. You know, it's, cause he was open up to his unconscious or his higher self or guardian. Angel. Well, it reminds me of this one that it just a little anecdote on that. I was on LSD one time and I mean, nice. I, I was like flying. It's like, I don't know what time it was. I mean, what quote unquote, what time it was. I don't know where I was like in like in time space reality. Yeah. In the quantum field, even, you know, I was like breaking down on a molecular level and I, uh, went to look into a mirror. And if you've done LSD or if you've heard looking into a mirror on LSD is like very difficult because you of the way you look, it's like, you can see through your skin. You can see through yourself. It's, it's a lot. It's, it's like it, it's a lot to handle yeah. for the conscious self. So I was like asking myself questions like to try to like interact with whatever this like state of consciousness that I was experiencing was. And I was like, I want to see the face of God and everything sobered up around me. And I just saw myself. Oh, and, and I don't know if you told me. That. I realized like it, that was like one of the hardest things I've ever like experienced. I just started sobbing because I was like, Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Like I have a lot to learn yeah. like about like how to like love and care for myself. And mm-hmm. the, the reason I bring that up is because that was like a really divine intervention for me because uh, it was just like, if you're looking for it, then you've already found it. You need to accept what it is. Yeah. Uh, any, anyway, man, and I think, symbols. uh, I think humans are God. I think yes. each individual human I think all living is God. I, oh, I think everything is God actually. Um, so do I. Uh, but like when you go into Neville Goddard stuff, it was man or God became man so that man be, can become God. Uh, right. And uh, uh, that, and that literally we're, we're like outlining like these union ideas for man and his symbols. Cause after this dream, right? So the book basically starts with explaining how everything that you perceive in reality is a projection of you everything that you perceive and you make some sort of symbological agreement with yourself that you recognize what that is. Even you even start with yourself. Like you give you're given a name and you're told that's your name and you believe it. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's not inherently true. It's just a symbol of like, it's a, a sound and a sign and symbol that people and you yourself can tether to you. What your state that you've assigned meaning. Yeah, but it that's all it is is a symbol. And so basically the first portion of the book is showing you that everything that you've ever understood about your reality is a symbol of you. It's an outer extension of your state of consciousness. Second part of the book is talking about the cultural implications about that of that. Then the third 
part of the book goes to what they call in Jungian psychology individuation. And then the last parts of the book, I'm not all the way through it yet, but it's yeah. basically like you're rounding the horn on like practical application. I, I want to say I've like looked at like a little bit of like footnotes and like I know the gist of man and his symbols, but the idea that like my biggest takeaways from the book so far, and I, I read quite a bit of Jung, so I'm like familiar is like you take this symbological understanding of yourself you recognize that everything around you that you're observing in this quantum field that we call life, right, is a piece of you. I'm like even talking like tangible things that you can hold, like your cell phone is you. Yeah. In some extension, like you are observing yourself through like everything. And this comes back to like this idea of animism. And then the idea is... It, or idealism. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the idea with this is that you like in the individuation process. And when I say idealism, I don't mean like in politics or the ideal society is this where everyone shares. I'm talking about idealism is that everything is just consciousness. Right. And including inanimate objects and all that. Yeah. And so what happens ultimately is like when you reach this place called the individuation process, it's like after you've accepted these phases that you have moved through of recognizing that everything is symbolical or symbolic maybe is the is the word um you then start to reassign what the actual meanings of those symbols are you basically yeah. take reclamation of your perceptions of reality and that's what they call the individuation process right so it's like <laughs> you start as god like as a singularity consciousness okay and then we enter this 3d space field and we all become like us like yeah, i like am me and, and you're you we have jobs and then the individuation and stuff and hang out and yeah, the individuation process. And- <laughs> yeah, the individuation process is returning to that state of singularity, and it's like becoming more perceptive of what reality actually is. And um, the more I learn about it, the more I realize that that's actually what I've been doing through my study of the occult. Well, everybody, and the thing that's hilarious to me is like the once I started reading occult literature, I realized like that uh, it was what I had been attempting to do my whole life very crudely. Like the occult literature just made it make more sense. Yeah. And then that's when I was like, Oh, cause okay. I think both you and I, we've just been questioning probably ever since we've became aware of ourselves. It's just why. Oh yeah. Just why? Oh yeah. I, okay. Why am I here? I remember this. Why are we doing um, it this way? Why do I have to do it this? Like, I was listening to music one time and, and music is like one of my favorite places to talk about symbols because every single thing that exists in music is a construct. Yeah. Like the definition of music, as far as I'm concerned, and I'm pretty confident on this answer is it is a provocation through an expression of art that uses the sonic senses as its primary mode of comprehension. I could be down with that. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, there's more nuance to that. Cause I think music, I think actually music, and I would also make the case that it's visceral um, because like the, the, the uh, song TV killed the radio star. Like I think about that a lot when I think about music, cause it's like music is such a multifaceted art form now, um, which is awesome. Not that it wasn't before, but it's especially a multifaceted art form now. And you get like these music purists, like, the classical musicians who are literally like <laughs> performing music as like a museum. It's like, yeah. come, and, come and pay $45 to hear our shitty interpretation of Beethoven's fifth. And it's like, Oh, you're playing some dead Germans music. Like, and okay. Mind you, it slaps. Like it's, fu- it's yeah, great. It's, it's great. really good. That's... Okay. But, um, 
the intent behind it is like kind of cringe. It's like, it's like, what if you paid some? Well, it's like Civil War reenactors. It, like, dude, like all orchestras, if they're playing orchestral classical music, they are literally cover bands. Yeah. Which is fine, but yeah, we like make yeah we try to make them something that they're not, and then we yeah, wonder why like they somehow they're on the pedestal. Yeah, where, be, like someone, but it's because EDM it's art and the expression they're in, you know. And yeah. that's what I mean is like the goalposts constantly move for what is and isn't art. And I used to be the worst about this. This was kind of a spiritual awakening for me. Uh, was when I realized that like all music was good, and I didn't have to like yeah. gatekeep myself, and I can scrutinize and make fun of all of it. Like, and I realized like it's all yeah, a joke, but also enjoy, but all also of it. enjoy all of it. Yeah, yeah. like. Because you will totally like, dude. And that's if, something I'm working on. If too. Uh, if like if the Utah Symphony's playing Mahler two, I'm gonna go listen to it. I'm not a dumbass. That's gonna be awesome, you know. But at the same <laughs> time, I'm also gonna be like. But then you can also critique it. Yeah, and enjoy I, it and critique. Well, it. and like that's one of the things with like art culture that like drives me nuts is like when there's like gatekeepers, and it's not just in classical music. It's like in every form of music that I've ever experienced. Like in art, really, there's always mm-hmm. gatekeeping. There's always gatekeeping. That's part of the dance. That's part of. Uh, yeah. And when I say that, well, I mean like that's it's part of thing, like how to integrate into the culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because it, because you get a bunch of people that care about something together, and they're all trying to convince you that what they think it is is it. Mm-hmm. And that you shouldn't have any ideas of what it is. It's just their idea. Like, agree with me, conform, you know? Uh-huh. And, and you even hear it like, like, uh, both of us really enjoy hardcore punk. And, uh, I mean, at this point it's like hardcore metal in a, in a lot of facets. And I love that too. Like the, the hardcore s- scene, I don't really have the, uh, pedigree to talk about this in detail because I'm just like a really big fan. Um, it's split into a couple factions and um the the point that i'm making though is if you listen to the nuances of the lyrical implications of the music it's like stick with us or we're going to show you what this sounds like yeah and then like you get a lot of people that go like yeah that's what it sounds like and it's like really provocative and then you get like try it's like it's like these sterile forms of tribalism that you adhere to into your pocket and then um, it's a game of call and response, and it just evolves over time, oh, right? Yeah. And then the, the most standout bands are the ones that, like, do something weird that's, like, hot. Like, right now, one of my favorite hardcore bands, like, one of the ones that's, like, the most fun to listen to for me is a band called Vane from Philly because they are weird as fuck. Like, they're mm-hmm. a hardcore band, but they use, like, all sorts of, like, industrial noises, and, they like, their sound effects style is just dope, but their guitar, dis- their guitar sounds are great their drums are tight the lyrics the vocals are cool like everything about it is just tough it's very like from philly like it just makes me feel gross yeah. uh in like a, in a good way i don't mean that in, <laughs> I, I hope that's not disrespectful um i love the provocation of it but the, the point that i'm making is like you get these bands that like try something new they really like push the fringe and then it's like mm-hmm. coming back to this idea of the overton window it's like now we're gonna have a discourse on whether or not we yeah. agree with this. And I've actually thought before, like when, when we were talking about questioning reality, the first time I started to question, and this comes back to what I was saying, uh, was when I first was told, like learning how to read music and I'm looking at, it's like four, four time, you know, mm-hmm. the top, the top number of a four, four time in a time signature says that there's four beats in a measure. Okay. And a measure is like, and there's four beats per measure yeah there's four beats per measure is what the top part saying the bottom part is saying which note gets the emphasis okay and the quarter note yeah so if it's a four it's a quarter note if it's an eight it's an eighth note 16 16th note it's all on a base four system right um now the, the point that i'm trying to make is now after that i was taught that four four time is this linear thing that goes one two three four one two 
three, four. Okay, in one case, it can be that, but it's not always that case. So you have to like learn the cultural implications and like the subtleties of what gro- the groove is in order to participate. Like, and you can't mm-hmm. write that down. You know, there's like a there's a jazz musician who just recently passed away. He's a teacher at the uh, Juilliard, uh, killer piano player. Don't know his name. I should. Um, who used to say that uh, talking about music is like dancing about architecture. <laughs> and I think about that when I look at sheet music. Oh, that's a great like sheet metaphor. music is one of the best ways to like suck the life out of out of art. It is. It is so dangerous, and you like d- like dude. it's real technical. Um... It it's but sterile. I haven't, I haven't read sheet music in years. Oh, and um, here's the thing, dude. I will I will totally read some sheet music. Like, don't get like, dude. I'm like gonna go home and like get some sheet music out like right now. No, I'm just kidding. But like, <laughs> the the point that I'm making is like, what I, when I look at sheet music anymore, I use it as a roadmap, and everything that I'm learning about the sheet music is so that I can forget about it. Yeah. Like if I if I were to like, it's helpful. If I were to get the music, well, and it's also good for passing down information uh, culturally because yeah. like, well, because that's all they could do before recording. Right. Right. So you had to literally scribe it, you yeah. know. And so I, I I understand its value. I'm not trying to diminish it. No pun intended. But like I, uh, the point that I'm making with like the sheet music is like, uh, it is a huge barrier between you and your artistic creative ex- expression. Yeah. I, I remember there was this one time I've been to so many and I, I don't mean this in a rude way. I, when I was in my undergrad loved listening to uh, classical clarinet literature. Um, the school that I went to had this killer clarinet department. I, I don't know anything about the clarinet except for I liked Benny Goodman when I was a little kid, you know, and I really loved Woody Herman. Um, but the point I was making is I'd go to these classical clarinet uh, recitals. So they'd be like these grad students, doctoral students, and they'd be like the most technically profound things, but they were so boring. Like it was like, look at all of this like artistic expression that I can do. That's based off of this thing that was like passed down in this like arbitrary tradition. I'm adhering to these like social implications and these structures and dichotomies that I was taught. And I'm showing you through my expression that I can be educated, which means that I'm civil (laughs) and creative and I belong here. And it's like, oh my God, like that's such a bummer. That's such a bummer that you spent eight to 10 years of your life to try to convince me something that you don't believe. Mm-hmm. That sucks. No, but the point that I want to make is uh, the principal trumpet player of the LA Phil, Tom Hooten. He came to my school and put on a recital. Okay. And he comes out and he's, he's uh, with his pianist. They'd flown in from LA and they get ready to play. There's no music stand. And he performed this recital all memorized. Mm-hmm. And I was blown away it was the best classical trumpet playing i've ever heard in real life that's weird because for me anytime i worked off of because like i was in jazz band all throughout middle school and high school anytime i worked off of sheet music i would get so uptight and like stressed that i was reading it right hitting the feels correct and when I moved into the realm of actually memorizing it, when I joined drum corps in high school and we would memorize our pieces and then moving into like punk and hardcore bands, memorizing it gave me so much more freedom and I expressed it way better. I became way a much better performer when I did it from my head versus reading it off of 
a when, piece of sheet music. When I get asked what I made me fall in love with jazz music, uh, I was the annoying redheaded kid that played the trombone. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just very much my personality, right? Uh, but when I was in the seventh grade, uh, you know, seventh grade band, wind band, trombone parts can be fun, but they can also be boring. So I'd come up with my own, dude. I'd That's come great. up with my own. I'd be like, fuck this. And I, back and then, I'd like, I was too I would scared like, to do it, and I, I wish like I would have. go find the clarinet parts, <laughs> the flute parts. I would like find any part that I liked, and I would be like, I'm going to lift that. Mirror I'm going to like, yeah, I'm going to go play that. Or, or I would come like up with my own stuff. Or, yeah, 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 and I used to get in trouble for it all the time. That's why I ended up in the jazz band in the eighth grade. And what made me fall in love with jazz music was that like you've got these guys, th- these folks that come together, and they all come together in a state of consciousness and they're like, this is the music that we're going to play. Okay. And then they just start improvising based off of these like arbitrary rules. But like what they're doing mm-hmm. is they're like turning on their unconscious minds and just expressing themselves in the present moment. Like all jazz music is all jazz improv, all improvisation in music is, is split second decision-making from the unconscious state yeah. as a form I would, of expression. I wouldn't even say decision-making. I would just say prompt following. Oh yeah, but even uh, at that, you're like creating these characters. Like that's the thing is like when you listen yeah. to somebody, like I can tell if I'm like it, like good music for me, like good improvised music, is when I'm like not thinking about anything else. All that music's doing is making me like just be right there yeah. listening to it, and it's just killing. And you're really like, holy shit. So this, as far as like the unconscious goes, um, so I was reading, oh, what was it called again? The, Unde- the Undiscovered Self by Jung. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, and I finished that this week. And he says that we're essentially archetypally programmed to believe in a higher power. And that when we get rid of some concept of God or spirituality, essentially the state takes its place. And then I also think uh, science as well takes its place. So we have all the same pomp and circumstance, like religious rituals are replaced with um, like a show of force by the state, like a parade. Like that's a religious ritual. It is a religious ritual. And uh, in science, I don't know, maybe giving someone the Nobel prize or, (laughs) <laughs> whatever sure after they um, bombed a yemeni wedding <laughs> so and i was thinking about it's important to have a concept of the unconscious because it allows you to communicate with it and receive ideas from it and like within jazz music when you follow the prompts those unconscious prompts like that's the same as like following the promptings of like the holy ghost in mormonism or uh Christianity. Yeah. That's what the Holy Ghost is, I think. Yeah. Because uh, being raised in Mormonism I and reading that book, I realized how important having a framework of interacting with the subconscious is. And maybe that's even what chaos magic is. Well, dude, anybody who um, anybody who denies that they like your gut instinct. What What is that? Yeah. That's that's your that's that's you being yeah. in tune with the collective unconscious. Your unconscious self telling the conscious self do this I had because I have the unconscious can operate 
at a much higher processing level. It sees everything. It remembers everything. Well, and it, it, it is everything. Well, yeah, that's at, at its thing. root. It's yeah. And, and so and it's, it's literally trying like a cult to form. It's not, it doesn't have an agenda. The unconscious doesn't have an agenda, but it will push you towards the core truth of like everything is love. Right. Or the absence therein. Yeah. And so it's like anything that the, your gut feeling is going to tell you is pushing you in the direction for your authentic self. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was going to say this week, I had this gut feeling. It was like a very, very spiritual thing of something that I needed to discuss. And it was like, I was like having a really bad dissociative episode. I was like astral projecting out of my body at work. I was like, I couldn't focus. Mm-hmm. I was like, literally like my spirit was like dangling around like the yeah. balloon that got out of the kid's hands. Like out I, of your body yeah, I was like bouncing around in the rafters of the store that I work at. And my body was just there like performing this mundane task. And, and if you relate with that, I'm sorry, cause it sucks. But the point that I'm making is like, I got this gut feeling of like, I need to talk about this thing with this person and I need to get on on this page with this person. I need to make sure that like I'm communicating honestly. This is a barrier in my life. And I did that. And as soon as I did that, like doors started opening up for me. Yeah. And, and so like, and, and that in and of itself is an esoteric principle. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and well, and when you're in a state like that, that usually indicates some sort of energetic or conscious blockage. Yes. I can't say exactly what it would be like. In my case, it's a lot of unresolved, like, childhood and religious trauma. Sure. I mean, and me too, um, respectfully. Causes weird hiccups in reality. Yes. When that stuff isn't addressed, and you're not doing it on purpose, and you didn't not address it on purpose, but it's there. It's stuck in your subconscious or your unconscious somewhere, and it needs to be addressed and uh, assimilated and integrated. Well, I... um. The guy that I got man and his symbols from is an acquaintance of mine that I met here and he was telling he hadn't read the book uh, because he'd been warned about it like there's a lot of people that will warn you about reading man and his symbols because if you like haven't done a lot of like self like soul searching uh, it can really crack that open for you and give you some pretty or just do it anyway. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, (laughs) that's what what I did says he's like. When he's like, he was talking about getting prepared to like interact with demons and, you know, he was in the OTO and they were like, you must be prepared. You must be prepared. He was like, just do it. And if you break stuff, fix it. Like, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I can dig that too. Um, I, the, oh, I don't even remember where I was going. Sorry. I didn't no, no, you're fine. You're fine. I, I fell off the wagon. Um, yeah, my bad. Um. Um, I think that those traumas and stuff, because in a, if you're looking at it from like a materialist, rationalist point of view, it's like, oh, you have these traumas and they're, they're ingrained in your personality and they're unresolved. So like, you're going to behave weirdly. You might have weird tics, like uh, involuntary, like muscle spasms and maybe some other oddities. But I think on a magical level, having those unresolved traumas also literally manifests in your life as, like, bad luck. And, like, mental blockages. Yeah. You can't think about words that you want to use. But, like, maybe you have a hard time reaching any goal. Like, and your phone breaks. Like, you cracked, like, three phone screens. You keep dropping them. Like... Or you're even just looking at the world like everything bad happens to me. Like that's that yeah. inherently is what I've described as bad luck before. 
Yes. Like, because I've known people in my life who say like, oh, I'm just really oh, unlucky. Oh, if they, if they expect it, they're going to get yeah, it. Yeah. If you think you're unlucky and you throw yourself that pity party, you're going to get the pity yeah. party every time, you know? Um, that really comes back to the adage of misery loves company. Like, um, because like, you you know, when you've been around somebody who's just like not doing well mm-hmm. and they just start eeyore you. And yeah. you're like, how's your day? Boom. No. And it's like, oh God, well, and not again. It's how, and it's how's your day. And then they unload. Well, not only that, but they want to drag you with them. Yeah. And it's like, ew, dude, ew, that sucks that you're in a spot that you like, mm-hmm. can't like that. You're hurting that bad. That bums me out. Um, Cause you want to heal them and you can sort of like give the healing by vibes. But at the same time, there's a point where it becomes like psychic vampirism. Okay. And you just get zapped so, of energy. And you're like, funny you, you got to segment your way yourself away from this person and recharge. Once I started getting into the uh, middle pillar, excuse me. One of the things that I noticed was like my energy would be really cleansed. I'd be in a good headspace. I'd feel really present. I especially present. I would be able to like handle my day-to-day tasks with confidence. Mm-hmm. Then I would run into people that like did not have anything going for them or they were just kind of like bumbling around in the wind and they would literally try to chip away at my energy. Yeah, they were trying it. to, yeah, they were Suck trying it. to take some of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a dopamine hit for them on their spirit, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I don't think, I mean, they don't do it on purpose. I, I don't most of know. The time. Most I don't of know. The time. I think I some think, of them do. I think the intent of literally just like wanting to make someone feel miserable is in and of itself, uh, like destructive. Oh yeah. And it's like, it's self-serving, mm-hmm. um, because I used to have this tendency, uh, for a while. Uh, it was especially in my youth, like age 14, probably until I was like 19, 20, uh, where when something bad happened to me and I didn't like how I, it made me feel, I would want everyone else around me to feel it too. I couldn't just take it on the chin. So I would just drag everyone well, yeah, to hell it, with me. It feels better if you have someone suffering with you. It, and it comes back to that misery loves company, um, you know? Because like I've been there, probably most of us have been there if we have feelings. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I hear that. Um. Jeez, that I, I remember that story. I bought that book, man, and his symbols from the sky. He said he hadn't read it because of the warnings that he'd been given for it. But he was obviously like a psychonaut. He, I, I ended up getting uh, Paul Stamets' psilocybin mm-hmm. uh, mushrooms of the world, which I've been looking for for a long time. Got it for a killer price. It was so cool. Um, I digress. Um, anyway, we were talking about man and his symbols, and he says to me that this. A Vietnam veteran came in one time with a copy of it and he was like, when I got back from Vietnam, my life was ruined and I read this book and it, it made me put things back together. It helped him piece his and life back together. Yeah, and and I've talked about this before that like people who have like extreme PTSD, I, I have some mild CPTSD, which is uh, ch- yeah. childhood and that tends to manifest in forms of like anxiety mm-hmm. and dis- and, um, and projection, yeah, projection and uh, lo- like a lot of assumption making, a lot of self sabotage. Like my, mm-hmm. I can tell when I'm having an episode of CPTSD that I need to like really like find myself in when I start self sabotaging. Like I will avoid uh, doing things for myself. I will like start erratically spending money. I'm like, okay, I gotta like revisit this. Um, now the thing that I've wondered with PTSD before, like from a spiritual sense is like, if it could be like the soul trying to exist in different planes of consciousness simultaneously 
and that like that pain that you feel is you not forgiving yourself and celebrating who you are here. And so you're trying to live somewhere else as well as here. And, and when, when I go through episodes of derealization or dissociation, like the extreme ones, um, I, I think that every time I like, I try to like look at it objectively so that I can like analyze it Mm -hmm. for my own self. Like when I'm in a better headspace, how it feels, but it really feels like my soul's like trying to go in two different directions at once. As I become more conscious of why, because I also do some, I've been way worse, but I've, I do dissociation as well. Um, and I think excessive uh, social media or internet consumption is a form of dissociation um, at work. And this is also sort of self-sabotage as well as so I'll just, I shut down, you know, and I don't want to actually do my own work. I want to escape reality. So I'll pull up Reddit, the scroll, you know, for hours sometimes. And I'm finally becoming aware. It's like when I'm learning about these topics, I'm like, I'm finally understanding that there's something that I'm trying to run away from. And there's something I'm trying to forget about. And there's something that I'm trying to numb or nullify. Um, And I think it's, it's also my own CPST and childhood stuff Matt and I have like odd life parallels <laughs> yeah yeah I don't find that a coincidence uh, either. so like we've experienced very similar things but in well, very different situations one thing that we both experienced that <laughs> I, I'm like personally passionate really passionate about uh is uh we were, we were both adopted as children mm-hmm. um not to divulge too much but I uh the, the point that I'm trying to make is I in my own lived experience Adoption comes with trauma. Yeah. There's pretty much no other, like, because uh, trauma is the reason that the adoption happened. Yeah. And so even yes. in its in its most pure forms, you're going to have these, yeah. like, really you're heavy, having, heavy you're, topics. You're having uh, traumatic experiences as you're being formed in the womb. Well. As, like, a an extension of the mother having their own traumatic experience that causes the need for the adoption right okay so and i think like on a spiritual or energetic level you're already getting traumatized <laughs> yes and, and like so, as an infantile well and and i for me personally i didn't really start to put together like exactly how much trauma there was until maybe four years ago three or four years ago yeah i mean in my childhood i was pretty ignorant to it you know i didn't think twice it was mm-hmm. just like those are my folks and i like didn't well, yeah. understand what well, you, it meant you didn't know what that. normal was yeah you, norm, you normal was my perception of yeah. normal you know like that's all you knew that's all i knew yeah the so but the social implications of it like i like later on in life did i realize that like i was the kid who was adopted in the neighborhood like when i acted out it was like oh well you know mm. and like what sucks is that I was like played the fool and thought that people like liked me for who I was as a kid. But, but then when I wasn't around, yeah. And I used to always do it like, Oh, we don't agree religiously. That's why like the vibes don't work here, but that Mm. was never it. Well, and I'm sure that that might be a part. I, I, well perhaps, but I think bigger, it was uh, like, I just was not, I was very neurodivergent as I was a weird kid Mm -hmm. for sure. Like you have your kids on the playground. You've got the kid that kicks the soccer ball. You've got the kid that hangs out with the other kids, plays tag. And then you got that one kid who's just like jumping up and down and like shaking their arms ferociously. 
unconsciously yeah. and screaming. And that was and, me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. I loved every second of it. So like, did I. I terrorized ki- other kids. Well, for most sure. of the time, sometimes I wanted to participate and tag and stuff, but other times I was like, leave me alone. I'm gonna, oh, me too. I'm going to think in my head for hours. Me too. I was like, uh, that's what I want to do. And <laughs> like, a- anyway, so like once I started to like put together like these things from my childhood, I was like, oh shit, you know, like at first it like hurt my feelings because I was like, well, shit, I was like trying my best, you know? Um, uh, but then, okay. So you want to talk about trauma for me, the way that I have found the most healing and I've started a journey on this sense of like understanding of myself is through a state of forgiveness mm-hmm. to myself. Yeah. Forgiveness for not being able to be aware of the situation, understanding that it wasn't yeah. my fault. That's a big one. You know, like that goodwill hunting scene when yeah. Ron Williams is like, it's not your fault. I like, I, I have watched that scene before just to put myself in yeah. that emotional state. We both have. And then start to think about my own traumas and then try to like take that energy and really put myself there too and be like, I can celebrate myself for who I am. I am worthy of being forgiven. I am worthy of being eligible to try again. Like I am, I am allowed to be here. Yeah. And uh, go ahead. And for, for those like of you who have experienced traumas or maybe have even caused trauma, probably a lot of it, if not most of it was not your fault because in that moment you're probably trying your best. Okay. And and let's say, um, you're essentially being like cast upon the rocks of like what was done to you as a kid and what you were programmed to believe and do and the expectations held upon you. Um, and you didn't choose those actions consciously. And I would make the case too, like, even if you were the one that had caused traumas, like not to go into too much detail, but I have traumatized some people in my adult life. For sure. And I'm sure I have. I have, do- I have done things that I know out in the open, and I have found avenues that I've had to explore to forgive myself. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, like, if... And this is how generational trauma works. This, is through your own trauma, you accidentally or not intentionally cause trauma upon others because yes, of your own unresolved. Yes. So then the cycle continues. Your kids become what you haven't resolved, you know? And then, like, so... The, the point that I was making, though, is like there is still a redemption arc for you if you have personally transgressed and hurt other people. Yeah, there is a redemption arc. And, I mean, I'm, I'm firsthand experience of it because like like I said, I mean, I've been in some dark places, you yeah. know, but like but the point that I'm trying to get at with that even is like that comes back to this idea of like the only person that you really need to be concerned about who it, forgiving you is yourself. Yes. No matter what you've done. Yep. No matter what you've done as even the the worst thing that you can possibly think of that you've ever done in your life requires love and forgiveness in order to heal it. And that in the thing, it might be that you uh, don't get that from anybody that you have hurt or you don't get that from somebody who's hurt you. No, it, it has Quite to come frankly, from yourself. That's none of your business either way. Yeah. You no. have to find it yourself. And I, and, and it sounds so self-serving to heal, hear, heal that, hear that because uh, I spent a lot of my life going I've been hurt in this way. I wish that person would apologize Mm -hmm. instead of going, I've been hurt this way. I understand now I forgive myself for like having been in this situation. I now understand the wisdom that comes with that. And that's the other thing too, is if you require apology or validation from outside of yourself, 
it will probably never be fully healed. And yeah. that's that's a hard pill to swallow. Well, I, I'm not going to lie. And like, the other thing, oh, I get trapped that, in that all the time. Because the implications of that and the self-work that you know you will have to do to get to that point is a, it's a big... It's, it's a, it's a it, horse pill. It's an ego trip. It's, um, it's a 100% ego trip because like your idea <laughs> and I, and I, I'm sorry if you're hearing that and you don't like it, that doesn't make it less true. Um, it, if you are expecting something from someone that inherently is your ego telling you that you are something that you're not like, if you want that thing, you need to procure it yourself. Yeah. That's the other thing too is, Ooh, and this is like an extreme hard one. Um, there is, at the very root of everything, there is no one who is going to help you but yourself. Yes. the per- That doesn't mean you shouldn't try to get therapy or, you know, psych, uh, psychiatric medicine if you need it. Right. Because that can help you right. through it. But at the root of it, it's, you're going to d- have to do it. The the I had a while where I was saying the mantra of the person best equipped to take care of me is me. Mm-hmm. The person best equipped to take care of me is me. And that used to hurt my feelings because quite frankly, uh, up until maybe three or four years ago, I had a hard time doing things by myself. I really didn't like being around myself, things like that, you know. And, and it, I still have a hard time. It Nowadays, I love doing things by myself. Like before, before COVID, you could find me at a movie theater watching a movie by myself. That was one of my favorite things to do. Cause I don't have to worry about like going with somebody and then they pull out their phone. Yeah. That will kill a vibe so hard for me. I will like, I will lose my mind. Like <laughs> if another person in the theater does it, I'm like that motherfucker. But if it's the person I'm there with, I'm like, how dare you? Well, now I know how to push your butt. Yeah, for real. That's like, there's like these, this chain of movie theaters called the Alamo draft house. I'm getting like really nuanced here, but I would love to express myself on this. It's called the Alamo Draft House. It's a phenomenal set of theaters. Um, they're really artsy fartsy. They like to play a lot of independent films. Um, they they got beer. I mean, it's it's like a cool gig. But they're ushers. They have a zero tolerance policy with phones or Ooh. disruption. So and it's not three strikes nice. you're out. It's one strike you're out. And they don't play around. You can go on the internet and look up Alamo Draft House stories of like somebody whipping out their phone and then dude you're done dude you're yeah. done it's just like an umpire in a baseball game like you're out of here man it's too late i already <laughs> made the call and so it's like because like my social anxiety allows me to live in a headspace where like if i see somebody on their phone it's gonna distract me because i'm hyper vigilant so mm. then i find it highly disrespectful now the game is i me getting over that too yeah yeah, well, it's like, but I can expect myself to get over that the same way that I can also be like, you suck. <laughs> so the thing I, if you get annoyed by something or if you have a fear of something, you are probably going to manifest it or and you are it. it or, or you, or you are, are it or I, you do that dude, thing. Dude. Okay. And that's what the shadow I, stuff. I, but, um, have you ever been with people who are like insufferable at restaurants, like just cruel to the servers? Yes. But before that, sorry, um, like one of my biggest fears of all time was getting jury duty. Cause I just didn't want to do it. I didn't. Cause I'm like, what if I get a bad case? What if like, what if I make the wrong decision as a juror? All that a fucking year ago, I got jury duty. Um, well, no, a little over a year ago. And I was like, God damn it. I knew it was going to happen. I'm like, maybe if I resolved that fear within myself before it happened, maybe it, I wouldn't have manifested it for myself. 
but it was like, all right, here you go, buckle up. And it it wasn't as bad as I thought, and it, usually your fears never are, but God, dude, it's the worst. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Um, it another thing to the tune of that. Um, oh yeah, going going out to a restaurant with somebody who's just like mean, mean to the servers, you know. And then it's like every time I'm with somebody that's just like cruel to the servers, I'm just like, I can't even imagine how you talk to yourself in your own head. Yeah. It just makes me sad because I'm like, dude, you don't even know this person and you're going to be rude. Like mm-hmm. a, a mantra that I have been practicing lately that I think I, I think that this is like a tombstone mantra for me. I'm definitely going to be cremated. I don't want to be in a cemetery, but Same. I'm saying this is a figure of speech. Um, be kind especially when they don't deserve it. Mm. Be kind, especially when they don't deserve it. Right. And, and like for me, what that entails is like, I have this habit at work of like, if somebody doesn't understand like social cues and like we're working and there's like a guest, a customer, you know, and they're talking about something in front of the customer that obviously is like inappropriate socially, but they like just don't understand like either that or they don't care. I like will start to think lesser of them. I'll just be <laughs> like, you like don't get it. Like that's so like you're so lame. You like don't understand how to play this game, right? But then I've like been lately been really thinking to myself like I need to just like not give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> Like that's so above my pay grade to deal with. Like yeah. I need to not worry about like other people. No, you know, I'm just. And it's one of the hardest things to learn. Lane. So I suppose that the paradox in there, or um, maybe the um, hypocrisy, is me going. Have you ever been with those people? You know, that at the restaurant, and I'm like, I can't believe you do that. It's like, how about you mind your business? Huh? To me. Yeah. <laughs> so there's poetry in there. I suppose I'm just saying it out um, loud. So I was doing. So after learning a bit, and I'm, I don't know a lot about the whole, all the intricacies of shadow work, but when I started getting the gist of it, I started analyzing situations in my life where I got anxious and I'm like, okay, in that situation, is there actually something about myself that I don't like or a trait that I'm not accepting? And one of them was with driving. Um, I'm not like the worst road rager ever, but like I get just upset when people cut me off or when they go slow, or whatever. And I decided to look at that situation. I'm like, okay, is there something in that in me that I manifest outwardly as an anxiety onto these other people who seem to be going slow or cutting me off or whatever? And I I got to the root of it. Um, It was because I was actually scared of other drivers thinking the same about me. If I were to go a little more slowly, more leisurely, and drive less aggressively. And since then, even just making the conscious realization, my driving anxiety has dropped at least like 25 to 50%. Because I'm no longer worried about pissing other people off. My car's not... (laughs) It's like a 100... 10 horsepower or something kind of like dinky so I can't get up to speed as quickly and now I'm like slowly more slowly getting up to speed and just not worrying about the guy behind me anymore or I'm starting not to you know it's a process no I hear you I think that that like at its core is like that was like the exploration of shadow work that was almost psychedelic to me yeah okay because I was like oh my god 
what I hated about them is what I was afraid of in myself. Okay. Like, Jesus. So it's funny <laughs> that you say that because I can't tell you how many times I've done shadow work. And when I finally like completed the circuit, uh, I didn't change the behavior at all. <laughs> I just became aware of it differently. Yeah. Yeah. Like one thing in particular uh, for me, like with romantic partners is uh, I get like, it, like the, the gremlins when you're first like going out with somebody. And like everything that happens there, I'm like notorious for like smothering that, like out of fear that like, I'm not going to be good enough. Right. Mm. And, and so like what I, I've done, I've done some like manic stuff before, like after just barely getting to know somebody. And it's like funny now to like, think about it. Cause it, it, I mean, it was ridiculous, but the point that I'm getting at though is, uh, when I really figured my exploration of my shadow within that was when I realized that it wasn't about toning that down. It was about being the most honest version of that and then finding the person that's cool with that. Yeah. And so like, I, I, yeah, I entered this headspace of like, Oh, if it doesn't work out because you're like, that was overbearing, you know, then you're then not, that's fair. Um, yeah, like we're, we're like on you're different not going to judge that or hate. Yeah, we're it. on different walks of life, and like love and happiness. But to that's you, I hope you find you what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and even at that though, like I need less of that once I accept that I I'm wanting that for myself. Right. Yeah. So it tones itself down. It, it mellows it out. Uh, I don't know. It's just it's funny to say that out loud because it's like you just feel like you're growing up a little bit, you know? So, and I've been making some <laughs> connections because shadow work is essentially the union of polarity. Yes. Um, polarity in, is talked about in the Kabbalion. Um, it's the, I mean, the yin and the yang. In, the, in geopolitics, they use polarity to control people. Because if, if, you, if you can get someone upset... That means they are able to be controlled yeah. subconsciously Vulnerable. Yeah. or unconsciously. Um, so the right can make their camp do whatever they want because they add a, an emotional charge to it um, or lies or propaganda, whatever it is. Same with the left. And just understanding that they're using the extremes of the pull to control you as a person or even if you look at your own emotional life and your emotions are out of control, that means you are not in control. So when you do the shadow work and you bring, you depolarize, you become much more level-headed, you become less manipulatable, um, your decision-making is much better and much more clear. I'm less manipulative, I would even make the Yes, case. like you, not only are you less manipulated, but you manipulate other people less. Yeah. Um, it's tough. So, Oh, it's super tough. It's hard. <laughs> when you like, cause I, this whole life is based on polarity. When I realized how much I manipulate people, I think like to some degree, I don't want to speak on anyone else's behalf, but I can't help but wonder if we all do to some degree. Yeah. But once I became aware of how much I manipulate situations, I was like, Oh my God, you weasel, you know? But at the same time, I was also like found it humorous. Cause I was I'll like, I'll do it shamelessly in like a magical sort of form. Oh, like, okay. I, uh, I can, if I want, can come across as like a really clean cut, like Christian person. Like I can just have that look. Yeah. I can't, I can't, I can, I can, 
I'm a little too gay for that. <laughs> like in, uh, <laughs> you know, in like maybe the workplace or wherever, I can sort of put on a persona that manipulates their psyche in in my favor. So they view me in a more favorable light. I, I, I can do it like when working with customers. I can, and reading like How to Win Friends and Influence People such a good book. can really help you to do this as well. And, you know, as long as you don't have a malicious intent, I don't think there's anything wrong with yeah, it. Yeah, Ted Bundy says that he read, <sighs> do you know this? Oh, I'm sure he did. Yeah, Ted, oh my somebody God. asked him how he became such a successful serial killer, and he said by reading Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends. Jesus and Christ. People. It's literally a tool so, on how to manipulate people. Like when you, essentially like <laughs> putting it really raw, when you jerk off someone else's ego, you basically have them in the palm of your hand, and you can then influence or convince them to do things for you or yeah. or you you essentially put it out where they perceive you in a more favorable light and then they have an unconscious bias in your favor so like i'm not even saying that's good or bad that's just a thing that exists like that's going to exist whether we talk about it or not yeah uh but i mean it's been helpful with like working with clients or customers who get upset it's like you validate all of their concerns. You validate their anger. You don't take it upon... Because you're depolarized and you're not getting angry that they're getting angry, you can then validate what their ego needs to hear and like even word things in a way where you're not saying it's their fault even if it is and you bring the situation down to a manageable level. I do that all the time working in IT. Like, you ever, I'm not going to lie. Have you ever seen those people <laughs> who like actually take the robocall that they get on the phone instead of just like clicking decline? And then they go, who the oh, fuck is that? They go, I specifically said that you may not call this number for telesolicitations. Thank you. And then they like get off the phone, like just uh, like, and you've got to give. They're them, like, I them, told him. You, ha, ha, yeah, you have better brought. Some <laughs> I told this to record horse. Yeah, and and then like, dude, I found myself just like laughing so hard at that. I'm like, you just needed that win today, huh? Like you just needed to win somewhere, like to be able to just tell somebody "fuck you," you know. Yeah. And it, the the point that I'm making is just like, and I'm not saying that you're wrong when you do that. Like whatever, I don't care. But I'm just like, I, like the last time I entered answered a robocall was like on a house phone. If I don't know the number on my cell phone, I'm not answering. No, God, it. no. Unless you're expecting, like, if you know you're gonna get a call from yeah. maybe an unknown number. Yeah. But nowadays, like, it's like I get calls from Pueblo, Colorado, all the time. Yeah. I don't know anybody in Pueblo. Thank God. I'm just kidding. I have my phone set to auto screen. Oh, okay. Numbers, so it'll be like this. Google subscriber or whatever is uh, screening their call. State your name and your like purpose for calling oh and it'll transcribe it and i can look and see what they're saying because it'll do text to speech or oh, speech to text that's so cool um so yeah nothing nothing's getting through to me i'm yeah. not i'm not dealing with that yeah no, that's a good thing <laughs> i think um oh, so you know what happened to me the other day is i was wiring this office um it was this uh medical it's for uh for this doctor they're like i don't know they're, they're forming a partnership i had to run this line from like one office to another to like piggyback off some internet 
who cares about that? Um, but I was in this empty medical office and there's this woman standing at the reception area. You know, it's been five minutes, 10 minutes. I'm like going behind the desk. I'm going up on the ladder. I have like my company shirt on. Like it's like obvious I have no affiliation with this doctor. And she's like, you know where the doctor went? I'm like, I think, and I pretty much, I, I think they went over to that other suite where they're partnering up with to maybe check for some stuff. And she's like, well, I've been waiting 15 minutes and you know, I need to value my time. And if I don't value my time, who else is going to, and I'm like, dude, I don't work here. I have, (laughs) and I told her too, I was like, I don't work here. Uh, I, I don't know what you want me to do. Um, I'm going to keep doing this. And she repeated it like two or three oh times. Like, my God. I, I need to, you know, because I need to value my time. And I'm like, for one, 15 minutes, not that long of a wait. Um, Dude, time is money, man. Come on. <laughs> Come on. How oh, are you going to live in this? Feudal, for sure. For capital? sure. How are you going to live in this fetal capital machine if you're not? For sure. Her husband Dude. made all the money and she's just doing the errands. Oh, fair enough probably not that's fair probably enough. a projection but yeah. whatever uh, <laughs> I just have to say that yeah to but, make yourself uh, feel bad I, I hear it I hear it I was just like I want to know what these people are thinking and feeling all the time to feel a need to say that to a complete stranger who is also obviously in no way affiliated they're with thinking, the company they're thinking I need two glasses of wine <laughs> I guess no I that's not funny but kind of value um, yeah for real no I yeah. well dude it, like I just don't get how you go out and participate in society that way I think that's one of the things in like American culture that is just like an obvious like shadow integration that we as a culture have not experienced that's yet, what I was thinking is how too. shittily we treat each other in public uh-huh yeah oh my god living in Las Vegas like made me lose a lot of like trust in strangers um, which was a good thing well they have their their shadow or their traumas or whatever and they just take it to the public and and just like dump it just on you. Just yell it's at the guy so at rough. Del Taco. It's so <laughs> you know, it's so rough. I dude, I had a who's guy. like barely making over minimum wage and is just like trying to get through the day. And he's like, dude, I had the a... ass joke of all of these like middle aged women. <laughs> I yeah yeah. I I had this guy at work that comes up. He's like with this little girl, and he goes. Hey, uh, it says here you got corn dogs, but you don't ever got no corn dogs here. Like, what's the big deal with that? And I was like, oh, hey, that's a good question. Don't have the answer to it. Let me go find someone that does. And he goes, yeah, well, here's the thing is, like, I work in this kind of business. Like, it's not that hard to have corn dogs. Like, if you don't got them here, you just go get them from the freezer. Like, you just do an interdepartment yeah. transfer. He's, like, doing all this. Th- and so I repeated myself, like, yeah, hey, you're, yeah, let me go find somebody. <laughs> you're like, like I, dude, I don't know what else to say. Like, okay, like, you know? Yes, yes, anyway, sir. And I'm also thinking when he's like, I work in this business. Like, dude, can you imagine? I doubt he does. Okay, I feel okay. like if he now, did, he might. Now, hold on one second. Imagine, imagine you, that's your job, and you're not working, and you go to a place that's an establishment similar to it. They don't have the product you're looking for, and so then you proceed to tell me about your job. Loser, dude. That's so oh, lame. Yeah. That's so lame. Like that's dude, a big douche so energy thankful. for sure. I'm so thankful that you're like <laughs> letting me know what you do for a living. I'm so th- dude. Thank you for patting yourself on the back. Like, dude. I mean, I I see it with a lot of like, uh, tri- um, what what is it like? Uh, people that oh, I have another the, people that story. work in public services uh, are like notorious for it. I've I've 
I don't know. I've experienced a lot of it in my life. You know, it's like... I'm trying to be vague because I don't want to be disrespectful, but like... The... the, um, Yeah, I'm I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to say that there's like a lot of people that work in the public sector that really go out of their way to pat themselves on the back to let me know that they work in the public sector. And I'm like, I... I hope and pray that I don't have a job like that. I like don't ever want a job where yeah. I like am We're, wearing a shirt that says proud blankety blank. Working food and retail <laughs> was the number one thing that made me get out of food and retail. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. I was, uh, so I worked at this really trash, well not trashy. It was just not a very well taken care of grocery store. Oh, I love that. Um, in Twin Falls when I was a teenager and like, I made the entire time I was there, I made minimum wage and I'm old enough to have gotten like the $5 minimum wage and then saw the jump to the $7, 725 or whatever yeah. it is, minimum wage. Like that was my raise <laughs> was the federal minimum wage. And I worked there for like two years and we were, we had, you know, we had pallet jacks and like I stuck it in the pallet and I like lifted it up and then I like in order to climb onto it to like climb onto something else. And some guy was like, hey, OSHA would get you for that. And I'm like, dude, I'm making $5 an hour. You think I give a fuck right now? Yeah, dude. I, and, uh, I love and I was people like, who do that. Well, this is what he did, though. Uh, it's like, I was like, so I'm up there. He says that. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And, like, I obviously and, like, pur- purposefully projected, like, a lack of care to his remark. And then he just felt the need to walk up, like, real close to me, like, almost into my ear and be like, I actually work for OSHA and we can fine your ass for that. Which, number one, I know the fine would go to the company, not to me. Dude. And honestly, I probably should have left that job earlier. Oh, my God. Anyway. How do people... (laughs) How does that happen that people, like, live in society like that? Like, I have a hard time believing those people are real. I had had a similar one, dude. I had a similar one. I was at the grocery store. This is recent. And I was, like, with somebody else... And I was, like, talking about some sort of, like, preparation for this product that I was trying to buy. And me and the other person were having a conversation, dude. And this fucking lady just comes over and interjects to, like, try to, like, correct us. And I just, like, looked at her, like, fuck you. Like, and the worst part was she was right. (laughs) But I was just, like, right. keep that shit to yourself, dude. Like, let me figure this out. Yeah, like, you need... you need just to express get yourself. Out of here? Yeah. I think this is so funny how we were like, yeah, so like this is how you integrate the shadow and be kind, especially to people who don't deserve it. And then I immediately go back into the game of reality. I'm like, yes, this fucking guy. <laughs> yeah. But that's like, I think part of it too is like, like deep down, I really do think that part of it is like what the, what the Buddha said about before enlightenment, after enlightenment, before enlightenment chop wood, fetch water after enlightenment, chop wood, fetch water. Right. It's like, I, I know what my Buddha tendencies are. And one of them is mm-hmm. to get really, uh, overdramatic about everything. Yeah. Uh, I'm very theatrical. Oh, I dude, people, I'll like tell people that and they'll laugh. Like they're, I'm learning something about myself that they've thought that they like, just, I'm just barely finding out. And I'm like, dude, I've been with this guy the whole time. Like, don't try to, <laughs> don't, don't try to, I wrote the book. Like, so you just chill out over there, you know? But, mm-hmm. but the point that I'm making is like, it's like more about how can I be a more authentic version of that for myself, you mm-hmm. know? And so it's like, I say this out loud, you know, I get, well, I say my piece. I mean, we're all, 
hypocrites at some level. Oh, yeah. Like, we say we want to love everyone, but then, you know, we see people do stuff like that, and then we want to make fun of it to feel superior. Yeah, you still have to, like, exist so, like, within the parameters of the human condition. Like, we're figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're guilty of being hypocrites. I think that that uh, is part of enlightenment, you know, yeah. is we came to this, like, mortal experience a- a- to be able to, like, experience everything. Yeah, a- acknowledging the hypocrisy is the first step to, like, heal those dualities and those polarities yeah. and integrate them. We're obviously working on that, but... yeah. Sometimes um, it's also just fun to really make fun of someone. Oh, dude. Or look at a shitty situation. You know and be who like, I love to make fuck? fun of the most is me. Like, <laughs> I love poking fun at myself. I, like, I got over that really quick because mm-hmm. I was always, like, the guy that was, like, cracking too many jokes and, like, always taking things too far. Uh, that's <laughs> how I've always been. You know, I'm a little bit more, like, domesticated now, perhaps, in certain ways. Uh, but the point I'm making is, like, once I realize that, like, when people are making fun of me, I can get in on it and, like, it's fun. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I, I think it's hilarious. Like, I could yeah. be at a bar and some guy's, like, making fun of me. As and long I as you're genuine about it. In. Yeah, I think it's um, hilarious. Because not, it's like, true. Like, maybe what they're saying is probably true. Yeah. And then just acknowledging that and laughing at how absurd, like, yourself is. Yeah. You, you are. Helps you heal it. Yeah. Heal those deficiencies. Yeah. Or just be like more authentic and genuine. Yeah. So anyway, um, do you want to go over this last little bit that you had here? Yeah, Please. sure. Uh, <laughs> I think we, we sort of had an outline and we, we just, I think we just kind of went for it. I, I, I mean, I like the, yeah. the vibe I, on this. We've talked about, we're talking we about, we talked about the main points, I think. Yeah. And uh, it, it felt, it felt good. So, um, we have a bunch of social media now and we have a bunch of ways for you to, uh, consume this media. So, um, I'll let you do that, but yeah, sure. So, um, we're finally officially getting on most of the popular pod catchers were on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher. We're going to be adding more. Um, also, I think if you start to search for it, you'll find it. If you've searched for fake magic, that's F-A-K-E-M-A-G-I-C-K. You'll be able to find it. We're on uh, Instagram at fake magic pod. And that's magic with a CK and Twitter at fake magic. Um, so one thing that uh, we want to humbly ask for um, is, so we're going to have some hosting costs for the podcast. Uh, we do want to get a website up and running. We want to upgrade the audio equipment a little bit more so we can produce uh, some some better sounding quality um if you feel like you're in a place and it resonates with you um consider donating like a dollar or like five dollars um it's gonna be on our link tree so uh that'll be like l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash fake magic and that's with a CK. It, the link will be on the Instagram and Twitter um, as well. We'll, the, put, we'll put a donate button. And, you know, honestly, only donate if you feel like any of this can help you or if you want to hear more. And only if you can. We're not trying to guilt trip anybody. And even at that, yeah, that's that's yeah. the thing is, like, 
what we're ultimately trying to do with this is just make it more authentic and genuine ourselves. Like, so all of this is a vessel to make that happen moreover. So, yeah. um, So it'll help offset the hosting costs, help us get a website up. We can do like a reading list, maybe eventually get like a forum set up. Um, like we'll, we'll do a reading list, maybe some blog stuff. Um, group magic, maybe we've talked oh, about yeah. that. Group magic would be super group fun. Magic could be really, witchy. um, <laughs> I was thinking of even, <laughs> so I sort of have an outline of like a, a beginner course. Yo. Um, uh, the working title right now is breaking or, uh, jailbreaking capitalism with chaos magic. Yo, I have pretty much the full first episode sort of written um to get donations and then later on once we figure it out the patreon yeah and not honestly not even a ton just enough to like offset maybe some hosting and some like technical equipment stuff would be more more than i would be more than happy about that yeah that would help me be able to get that project off the ground uh, with video and stuff um and then I know Matt talked about their um, uh, tarot, musical tarot. Yeah, I'm like um, 60% so, of the way through it. So we're going to need... These mics are okay. We're going to need a, something a little bit better to get a, a better studio quality sound yeah. for the guitar and all of that. Yeah. Um, so if you feel like it, please uh, go to that link tree on the Instagram, donate, whatever. That's uh, that's my pitch for it. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, thanks to all of you that listen. We're seriously thankful for all of you. And, uh, yeah, take care. Yep. Learn to love yourself. Learn to love I'm learning yourself. to love myself. It's hard. Nice. All right. Cool. Love you. Bye.